0: Welcome to the podcast of the fabulous Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Jacqueline Thornhill and I am honored to serve as the 97th president. Our club focuses on youth, children's literacy, and we support our active duty military and veterans. We meet on Thursdays at Lowry's at noon. For more information, please visit LasVegasRotary.com or follow us on Facebook at Las Vegas Rotary Club Founded 1923, where you can watch a live stream of our weekly meetings. Please enjoy this week's speaker. Okay, everyone, I'd like to call up past president Tom Thomas to introduce our speaker, please.
1: Thank you, Amelia. Um, Our sheriff, Joe Lombardo, uh, has spoken to us on a number of occasions and, and frankly, considering that he speaks in uh, our community five days a week, he really doesn't need any introduction. He's been serving as our sheriff for for five years and, yet I think most importantly, he's been involved with Metro for over 30 years. Imagine what a blessing it is when there are events that come up in our valley that are difficult to respond to, and the unique situation that exists in a valley that uh, welcomes 46 million visitors every year, to have a sheriff who has three decades of experience in our police force, in our community, in serving the people of Southern Nevada. Joe Lombardo. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate that introduction. Uh, Where's Andy at? Andy, thank you for inviting me. Uh, Like Tom said, I've spoke to this group uh, on more than one occasion. I actually enjoy it, so that's the reason why I keep coming back. (laughs) And and Jackie, thank you for all that you do as the current president with the Rotary. I appreciate that. So what do you you want to talk about today? Oh, you thought I was going to give you a speech, didn't you? No, I'll give you a little bit of a speech, but I think uh, we're more successful during the Q&A with these types of groups um, to answer the questions that are bothering you or you're interested in, and I'm the guy to give you the answer. So, um, but before I do that, I would like to just give you a, a window or a picture into what's occurring in the Las Vegas Valley as far as crime with your police department and everything that goes along with the police department. So Tom alluded to it, uh, the 45 million, 46 million visitors a year that we're responsible for to include the community, correct? So you'll, you'll understand where I'm going with this. So before when I've talked to you, I talked about the ability to hire cops and that we we're woefully understaffed as a police department compared to other major cities across the nation for, and we measure that for officers per thousand, the number of officers per thousand. That's how we measure police departments and, and communities uh, as far as staffing. So here locally, we were the, the standard across the nation that we think is the ideal formula is two officers per thousand permanent residents. So add in 45 million people, that doesn't go in the formula. So. It's very, and that, and that 45 million people is responsible for about 10% of what I do on a daily basis. So that's, a, that's an important, you're all business people in here so you understand those numbers, it's important for you to put that in context. So just July of this year, July of this year is the first time in the history of LVMPD that we achieved two officers per thousand. First time. And that was because of the economy, okay? The, the economy prevented me from hiring for people for approximately five years. And, you know, it takes me about a year to get a cop on the street um, and you, to count them as a cop. And so you, you can imagine, so that ends up being six years without hiring anybody, how difficult it would be to manage the crime picture in the Las Vegas Valley but because of some tax initiatives and and the increase in the economy and my general fund and and everything else that goes along with it, I was finally able to hire folks, and with the raiders coming and the increase of the convention center, that convinced the powers to be to to help me out in the revenue stream associated with the police department, so we've been able to hire, and what has been the result of that, Sheriff? It's been very positive. So last year, we decreased violent crime right around three to four percent and we decreased property crimes right around three to four percent. This year, year to date, we have decreased violent crime 13 percent and property crimes still around four percent. So we're going in the right direction. (laughs) So So I'm I'm a member of major city chiefs um, and that is the 50 largest uh, agencies in the United States to include population plus in Canada, which we include about eight jurisdictions. And we put out a crime report on a quarterly basis for all the major city chiefs agencies. And in that crime report, we list uh, part one, violent crime, and part one, property crime. And there's only two agencies that are demonstrating negative numbers Year to date in the United States, and that is uh, Nashville and Las Vegas. So we're doing good. So in, in particular to homicides, which is an easy crime to measure. All right, um, today year to date we're at 71 homicides. Last year year to date we were at 108. Okay, so that's a that's a big number, right? So if we're able to keep it under hundred, if we're able to keep it under hundred uh, at the end of this year, it'll be the first time we've been under hundred in 30 years, so. And that's, that's an increase in population. How much has the population increased in 30 years, correct? So that's an exponential number, not just a number. So uh, your police department's doing some good things. Uh, we're fighting crime like we're hired to do Less we're out in the community, as you can imagine, more than any other agency, I bet, in the nation. Uh, more than the fire department, I guarantee you that. That was a joke. Come on. <laughs> Everybody loves the fire department, right? But you ever see them in the community? No. So, they're playing the, the video games. Right? Anybody got fire family in the fire department? No, I just—I actually give the fire chief a hard time about it all the time. They—they uh, they obviously play an important role in the public safety environment, and they do a good job. I just—you know—a lot of it's just jealousy. That's all. They—they they get to sit around all day, and, and I don't. So, <laughs> so crime is doing good. The other thing I'm responsible for, because I'm a sheriff and I have the entire county, is the county jail. Um, so we're—we're we're moving. You probably remember the numbers from the last time I spoke to you, but on a daily basis, we have about 4,100 inmates in the county jail on a daily basis. The only difference is the cost to incarcerate an inmate. So is there any idea? I'll throw it out to the group. Anybody have any idea how much it costs me to house a human being for 24 hours? Huh? Well, that was pretty good. That's pretty good. Usually people really lowball that. They say like a 60 or something. But it's 174 in today's number. So times that by 365, you could send your kid to Harvard, okay? It's a very expensive endeavor. So you see in the press, on a constant basis, talking about um, reforms associated with bail, incarceration. That's because there's real numbers associated with that and whether, you know, how much our person is sentenced, whether that is successful compared to this amount of time, that's why that's a constant conversation in the public safety world because it's a needed conversation. Um, the system that we work in is probably the best system in the world, but it can always be tweaked to be better. And, and part of that is dollars and how much it costs to do that, the job of incarceration of an individual. So Why why do I have a jail of that size? Well, because it is what it is. The population we have, we're we're, we're breaking 2 million people here in the Las Vegas Valley. Um, I'm responsible for about 1.7 million of those people. And so as a result of that, people get arrested and they have to spend some time in jail. Um, So just for clarification and understanding, the county jail operates as a holding pen for the court system. Once you, if you've been convicted for more than a year, if you're convicted for time for more than a year, you go to the state prison system. Okay. But here's the problem with our justice system that we say is the best. I have 32 individuals in my county jail that have been there over seven years still waiting to go to trial. So imagine how much that costs for each one of those individuals. So times it by the number 4100 I have in there so you can experience that problem all along the way. And so those are some of the hurdles that I have to deal with. You elected me to deal with it, it's not your problem, it's my problem, but it's important for you to have an understanding of the issues associated with what we do as a as a business. So the other thing I like to throw out there is the number of calls we handle per year. So I have the dispatch center that handles all the calls for fire and police and if it's a fire call we just pawn it off to the fire department but if it's a police call any ideas how many calls we do per year 3.3 million this year last year 3.3 million but so it, that requires a lot of human capital to handle that many calls, right, and listen to people's story when they call in. And out of those 3.3 million calls, 1.4 million requires a police officer actually to go to. So that's, that's the kind of business we're in, and that's how busy we are as a, as a police department. But we're handling it. We're doing a good job, as you can tell by the, the direction crime is going. And as far as, as safety per United States, I don't know where we're at. All I know is we're doing good. So, and those polls that you see, or some of those surveys you see come out in the internet and on TV about safety and cities and all that—they're so ambiguous, and the and the data points associated with them are so bad, you can't rely on them. Um, so, where, where are you going with that, Sheriff? I don't know where I'm going with it. The, uh, where where I'm going is quite often people say, "How how safe are we compared to other?" Cities and there isn't a good measurement stick to give me to be able to quantify that. All I know is we're one of two cities that have reduced crime this year, so that's a good thing. So, what else is going on? We have a uh, Tom was talking to me about the settlement the MGM did with the one October debacle um, and whether that I thought it was good business or not, and I said I didn't know i mean that that's beyond my scope and ability and understanding but i think it's good for the mgm to create closure with that event it helps us move forward as a society and a community and improves upon our economy as we go forward Um, and jackie says do you get questions on every one of these events you go to about one october i said no they're fading off Uh, people understand that they want to move on we want to move on as a society and I, I, I really don't get that many questions, so there's a hint in there. That's a hint. <laughs> so when we go to Q&A, don't ask me any question about 1 October. So, um, but the reason why I brought that up is there's something occurring this weekend. It's called a day in Vegas. It's a three-day rap concert at Sahara in the Las Vegas Boulevard. So you know what's going on around the world, right? El Paso, Dayton, Ohio, you know, other areas of the nation, open air venues, entertainment venues, and how we have to protect them. And it's a whole different dynamic paradigm in police work. And then all of a sudden we have this occur. And could you imagine how much of my resources I have to dedicate to something like that? Something that I don't think we understand the business we're in, we're the entertainment capital of the world. But can't we figure out a different way to do business? And so I, I, the only reason why I brought that up is because I've, I've just got on a soapbox for a minute. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't beseech you if you want to go there, uh, but it's open to all ages. Isn't that weird? Yeah. All ages. So if, infants are allowed to go to a three-day rap concert. So, and I'm I'm not I'm not demonizing the type of music. I'm just saying three days out in that particular area, could you imagine how hard it's going to be for us to manage that? I think we could do business a little bit better in that aspect. So those of you that are in that business, think about it. Okay, That's all I ask of you. So what do you want to talk about? What questions you have? I knew that would happen. Look. Yes, sir. So the question was, you talked about officers per residence. What, what the hell about, and I'm quoting them, so it's not my language. What the hell about all the other tourists? I thought I already answered that. Didn't I answer that? He wasn't listening. You weren't listening, sir. No, you're right. You're exactly right. What the hell? So here's where quite often I get asked by these groups, how could we help? Right There's a good, good example you have access to your state legislators right you have access to your county commission and your city council it's your phone calls that creates that momentum to establish the funding source for me to hire officers me standing up there preaching doesn't doesn't solve it because they expect that from me because i'm the head of the agency okay what solves it is you as a group or individually making phone calls to the elected officials and say, hey, we need, we need to do business better here. And here's an example. If you, if you look at the national press, how they're always bragging about NYPD, right? the New York Police Department, they're always bragging about them and how successful they are. Why do you think they're successful? There's a, there's a plethora of reasons why you can think it is, but I'll tell you why they're successful. The national average for officers per thousand in the United States is 2.2. They are 5.5. 5.5. Imagine what I could do with 5.5 in the number of officers. And I'm not talking about creating arrests. I'm talking about preventing crime and being proactive versus reactive. So that's why it's important that you ask that question. Sheriff. And, uh, and people understand the, the dynamics associated with it. Do your statistics include the security forces in the hotels, the, all the private security, etc.? Uh, good question. Um, no. There's approximately 17,000 private security officers. Some of them are professional. A majority of them are professional. Those are the ones that work directly for the casino industry. But Remember what I told you, the 42 million visitors what percentage of crime? Ten percent, 3.3 million calls a year, right? 1.6 calls for service, what's 10 percent of that? That security force creates those calls, okay? So they're a benefit in helping mitigate crime in their environment, but when they identify a crime, I still gotta respond to it, correct? So they're, they're a force multiplier for us, but they don't have the ability to affect arrest or issue a citation, or go to court on behalf of the property. I have to do that. So it still requires me to respond.
0: So you talked about the rap concert. I just want to also inform you, South Africa is playing in the Rugby World Cup final. (laughs) So when we win, there's going to be some raucous South Africans on Saturday morning at the bars. Um, But my- Hey,
1: so does anybody else appreciate rugby in here? Good. Well, I, I happen to watch a game the other day on TV, I have no idea what the rules are. <laughs> you know, I've, I've never watched a game of hockey in my life until the Golden Knights showed up, but when I went to the game I could understand the rules of the game. You know, it's basically like soccer, you know, offsides and all that. I watched rugby, I have no idea. <laughs> can,
0: can you perhaps talk, um, because uh, I think it's an undervalued hidden gem, the Metro
1: Citizens Academy. You want me to talk about it, or yeah, just i, I didn 't understand think. yeah, yeah, the, we have a metro citizens academy um, it 's a six week academy. You meet one night a week, and I believe it 's for four hours, and what is the intent? The intent is to give you a, a picture or a understanding or a window, a look into your police department, what we deal with on a daily basis, the training that we have to go through. And what we deal in public safety, you know how, how we go about it and what is our thought process and everything else associated with it, and it 's very beneficial because it gives you an understanding. Education is probably knowledge is the the, the biggest, most important trait in, in a human being, I believe, and it gives you the knowledge and understanding on what we do and why we do it, and especially when you get special interests that badmouth us in the press, correct? And, you're, and, and if you have an understanding of what we go through, you, you can you feel a little more empathy towards us versus them. OK, yeah, we get it wrong sometimes. I got 6,000 employees that are human beings. Of course we're going to get it wrong sometimes. But more often than not, it's, uh, I want to give you a picture of a group versus an individual and in understanding what we go through. So it's a very good uh, course. I recommend it to anybody. There's a very long waiting list. All you have to do is call the police department, ask about the Citizen Academy. They'll transfer you to the respective people, and then they'll put you on the list. And it's worth the wait, and it's worth the experience. Hey, Sheriff. You asked a question. All right. This is a quick question. Let me get the first questions first. Go ahead. All right. Uh, As commercial drones become more available, um, I'm just wondering, like,
0: is that coming into the time? like our police officers having to respond to that stuff, and then also in planning, like when you look around what's going on in the country with mass casualty incidents, do you guys ever talk about, I I personally feel like there's gonna be one with drones and it's gonna kinda change the game, is that something that ever is talked about or planned with at your Uh, level?
1: The answer to your question is yes, yes, and yes. Um, Yes, we are, we are evaluating that for mitigation and use, okay? It's interesting that there isn't, a law, there isn't a law out there that gives us the ability to intervene on a drone. And that's what they're trying to work through, laws and policies associated with that. What we can is if we, what I mean by intervene, there's technology out there to, for us to take a drone down, okay? Um, we can prosecute the individual operating the drone if they're doing it improperly, like flying it out by McCarran Airport or, you know, peeping Tom in, in your backyard, that kind of stuff but we don't have the ability to mitigate it in flight. Um, the law prevents us from doing that currently. We're hoping the law will get on the books and we can do that because I know the technology is out there. And the second part of his question, are we using it as a tool for police work? Yes, we are. Okay, but we're not a surveillance state. We use it mostly right now for a documentation of crime scenes. Uh, we don't use it in the surveillance mode currently but I anticipate in the near future we'll be able to utilize it similar to how we utilize the police helicopter. Okay, so how much does it cost to operate a drone? I don't know, nothing, right? I mean, once you made your initial purchase, you just charge the battery and send it on its way, correct? It cost me $700 an hour to run a helicopter. So that's why it's important to consider those kind of things. it doesn't cost that much, but it does, because I have two paid police officers in there, right? So it's their salary, benefits, the fuel, and the maintenance on the helicopter. So that's why it's so expensive. So before we get too far off uh, the question that R.B. asked. I don't have a microphone. You can't answer a question, but you have a microphone. First of all, thanks for your service as well. <laughs> thank you. We, we thank our military members, but uh, you guys help. You guys are in our war zone. <clears throat> before we get too far away from that, though, so in terms of resources and budget, who determines the disparity between, I believe that Vegas is a city of 1.8 million, so you get 2.2 officers per 1,000, and the 46 million people that come in here that you get to deal with as well. Who dictates the disparity and and helps you make up that difference to be able to cover those folks? Legislature? Well, it's the legislature, if it's... If there's a bill that's brought forward to, like a funding mechanism, say say sales tax, it's the legislature that has to enable that that gives the authority to, if it's a tax, it has to give the authority to the county commission and they vote on it whether they're going to enact it. But I think to get back to the core of the question is how am I funded, okay? Um, 64%... My total budget comes from the C tax. That's the consolidated tax that comes via the uh, city and the county. Okay, and then the other 30 plus percent is, is self generated by me. Okay, and when I say self generated, it's not by citations. Okay, a lot of people think that we're in the citation business generating funds. No, in the state of Nevada, that's illegal. Um, all that money that is generated by citation goes to the courts, it doesn't, I, I don't get a dime of it. Okay, but when I, so self-generated is, you know, things like uh, officers working overtime, private vendors paying for that, contract at the airport where the airport pays for my police officers. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole plethora of items that we self-generate. When you go in and get a report, you have to pay for a report, things like that. Um, so the rest of it comes from, and then to include that is I have a certain portion of the sales tax dollars. Not including food and prescription meds, that pays for my officers, and then the rest is the taxes, property taxes, and things like that that you you pay into the city and the county. So, are you self-governing, or who determines that you can have an extra officer or two for a thousand to help deal with this overflow? The city and the county. Okay. The city and the county does, and that's a great question because a lot of people sometimes don't understand that I'm an elected official. So I, I govern myself on operations. What I do with my police officers, they govern me with the purse strings. So, uh, Sheriff, you gave us some interesting uh, statistics on the improving percentages. Uh, you didn't touch upon homeless. I wonder, is homeless a growing or a decreasing problem? And to what extent is your department committed to using resources to handle the homeless? Great question. And here's why it's a great question. So there's a lot of societal ills out there, right? Mental health, drug abuse, um, poverty, education, everything else that you could imagine being in a business, right, and being as successful as a community. So when that stuff goes awry, who's asked to solve it? Who asked? Saw oh, it, me, right? It's real easy. You dial nine one one, right? Dial nine one one, and the officer comes. hey, I got this homeless guy. So what do you want me to do, right? It's not illegal to be homeless, but I'm not. I'm not stepping away from the question because this question is very pertinent to what we do in police work. Every year, the tools or the knowledge base of a police officer or what the police officer is expected to do increases on a yearly basis. Okay, so. Uh, homelessness is a big part of what we do. About 14% of my calls involve the homeless. Okay, so 1.6 million, 14% of that is the homeless. And he asked, is the population growing in the homeless here? Yes, it is. But it's growing everywhere in the United States. You can see that if you've been to San Francisco, you've been to Washington, D.C., you've been to L.A., any one of those cities, you can't ignore it you can't it, it, it's it's right out there it's overtly out there um, so the pop the population here is increasing no matter what numbers they say there are out there the last two years they said a decrease false absolutely false it's the county mes, um, mechanism they use is not accurate you can see it's just perception perception is usually based on reality you can see the homeless they they've creeped up into your neighborhoods and everywhere else right that you're not used to seeing them um, but what we are here, we're one of the worst states in the nation as far as resources for them. We have, If you do it per capita, I don't know what measurement tool they use, but we are one of the worst in the nation. And part of that is because we hadn't had to deal with it before because the environment helped control it for us. How hot does it get in the summertime, right? Homeless don't want to live here during the middle of the summer, so they go to some place that's more... Friendly to the homeless and more conducive to their ability to survive. Um, But now that's just the numbers are outweighing itself, and the environment doesn't control it as much as it used to just because of the the sheer volume of the numbers. Um, The solutions are the city and the county and the legislature uh, dedicating resources to the solution. And the solution is housing, mental health services, and things, and actually medical. Uh, services to, to help us with that. Because with us, our solution is incarceration. If there isn't social services out there that we can draw from, the answer is incarceration. We're the number one mental health facility in the state. Okay, at any point in time, 4,100 average daily population, At any point in time, 30 to 35% of my total population is on some form of psychotropic drug, okay? so it's it's a real issue and we have to deal with it but what you also have to do is base it in reality mental health and substance abuse are the two biggest contributor to homelessness only 30 percent of the homeless population is homeless due to circumstances out of their control and that means you know you lost your job or you were forced out because a family member's death some expense that you couldn't handle Things that were completely out of your control caused you to be homeless. The rest of them are service adverse. You get a lot of, there's only about 30% of the total homeless population that will accept services. In other words, when a police officer comes up to them, we don't have a charge to, to arrest them for. There's no criminal charge, but we have to take care of the issue. And we offer them services, and they say, we're not interested. Only 30% will accept services. Uh, so take that 30%. And what did I say earlier? We're the worst state in the nation as far as services. What do I do with that 30%? Only about 10% I can help. And it's based on bed space. It's based on uh, resources available to a police officer. So it's a very frustrating, especially, say you're a business owner and an individual is out in front of your, your establishment deterring your customers or creating havoc. We show up. all right. We're going to give you some services. Come on, no, I don't want services. We don't have nothing to arrest them for. It's very difficult for us to walk away, right? And It's very frustrating for you as a citizen who pays taxes to see us walk away. It's a bigger issue than me. It's, a bigger, it's an issue for all of us, to tell you the truth. Um, but that's the reality of it, and that's the system we're currently given to us. Did I answer your question, sir? No, that's a common question that comes. Usually another one is immigration, so I'm waiting for that one. Yes, ma'am. That's a good question. One is the, to elect the, the appropriate officials. So the difficult thing is the system we're in. The DA, I think Steve Wilson does a good job. I don't want to put any blame on his office. Okay, But we also elect judges, correct? And the judges have the ultimate authority. What c- quite often happens in the seven-year scenario is, judge, I need a continuance. You know, I we I haven't had access to this type of evidence. Judge, uh, I can't be here this week. I'm on vacation. It's all those nuances. The judge, all the judge has to say, no longer gonna have continuance. We're We're, we're within the constraints of the Constitution and the law. This trial is going forward, okay? But, and this, I'm not gonna get on a soapbox on this, but I just want you to have an understanding. Our judges are elected. How many of you in here out of the 78 judges that we have at the district court and justice court level, how many in here you know all 78 of their records? How they, how they make decisions, how they decide in court, how successful or how incompetent they are in court? None of you. I don't know, OK? So that's one thing that's troublesome. The other thing that's troublesome is they're number one contributors. Remember, they have to run for office. Who's their number one contributors to their campaigns? Defense attorneys, lawyers, right? So I'm not saying that makes a, that sways their decision. I'm not saying. Can you see me winking? Now, I'm not going to beseech the entire judiciary, but there's, there's people out there that we're all human beings, right? And we, we want to be reelected and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes it has an influence on our decisions. I just think there's a better system that we should be exploring for our community for picking judges. And there's one that's called the Missouri System which has been very successful. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> Sheriff?
0: Well, has you. the uh, legalization of marijuana had any material effect on your ability to reallocate officers into the community?
1: Help me understand that question a little bit better. When you said reallocate officers, what? Okay, did everybody hear the question? Um, This is not gonna be a philosophical answer because I think I have enough data to base the answer to give to you. Um, The legalization of marijuana has not gotten rid of the marijuana problem, okay? A lot of it was based on if you legalize marijuana, uh, you wouldn't have, the black market would go away. The black market is big and as strong as it's ever been. Okay? Why is that? Taxes. The taxes associated... Okay, but you can use the science, okay? So black market marijuana, the THC level's right about here, 8%. Legalized marijuana, THC's level up here, 22 23%. Okay? So a better high a better effect on whatever you use it for. Okay, Better price. but the price is up here because of the taxes, right? So if you're, if you're looking to consume marijuana and you don't have that money, where are you gonna go to get the marijuana you want? The black market, correct? So it hasn't, it hasn't had an effect on that. It, it, a lot of times, we were hoping it would have effect on the black market, but my officers are responding to illegal grows as much as they used to, and but the other piece on that is do we spend an exorbitant amount of time addressing minor marijuana stuff? No, okay, but, and half of you won't believe me in here, we didn't before, okay, a lot of the, the rhetoric that was out there as part of the reason to legalize marijuana was because we had all these people with low level marijuana charges incarcerated in the system, false, false. If they were in there with marijuana as part of their sentencing, it was because of a, it was part of another crime too, okay? We learned, remember how expensive it is to incarcerate people? We, we know as a business model. We're not gonna continue to incarcerate this individual when we have a violent felon over here that needs to be incarcerated. Okay, so out of the 4,100 average daily population, 73, in today's number, 73% of those are felons. So that leaves you what, 27% for minor infractions. The last thing we're worried about is marijuana, right? We're worried about quality of life things, you know? You talk about the homeless or all the other things, or people that come in and steal out of your store, or, or they steal your purse, that, that kind of stuff that you have to address, but they break into your car, and your car gets broken 20 times in a year, that kind of stuff. That's what that 27% goes to. So those, that's, it's just numbers. So to answer his question, no, we don't expend an exorbitant amount of time dealing with that at all. We're, and recreation hasn't created crime for us. Okay? It has been had one detrimental aspect, and that is uh, fatal DUI, OK? It has had an increase with people that have marijuana in their system associated with uh, DUI. So that's been the, the only negative aspect. As far as us increasing what we have to do as a, as a uh, police department, no. Okay. Oh, we're done? What about, wait, hold on, hold on. I got to give him an opportunity. I blew him off for four questions. Stop and frisk. What is your policy? We don't have a stop and frisk policy. Does everybody know what that is? So New York went through a very controversial um, police tactic, whereas they would uh, approach an individual, standing on the street corner, and stop and frisk them. The intent was to um, seize guns. Okay, but the way the Constitution reads, and I believe it to be appropriate, is you have to have reasonable suspicion before you can stop somebody, and you got to have probable cause before you can frisk somebody, okay, if, if there's any attorneys in the, tell me if I'm wrong, okay. Their policy was to stop and frisk without probable cause or reasonable suspicion in order to, they, they, they tried to use the, uh, it just doesn't look right, police, inst, uh, my, you know, just doesn't feel right, police, institutional knowledge to address these individuals to see if they have a gun on them. It would, they linked it to a significant reduction in crime with the policy, so they took it away, they got sued, and it was taking away their ability to do it, and it had no negative effect on crime when they stopped doing it. So it was a flawed policy, flawed tactic, flawed procedure, and it, it actually, in my personal opinion, violated your constitutional rights. Um, So, but that was a decision they made, so, but we don't have that, so, sir, we don't have that policy here, so, thank you.
0: Sheriff Lombardo, thank you so much. As you can see, the questions were very lively and appreciate always when you come to speak with us. I'd like to present you with our Share What You Can Award, which means we are going to give a donation to the local USO in your name.
1: Thank you very much. All right. So uh, I'll leave you with this, because you know, reference Tom's question, how many of these I have to do a week. Um, I have to do a lot, but that's what I got elected to do. But I love coming to groups like the Rotary. And I was talking about this group. It's called the Soapbox over at UNLV for two reasons. One is you ask very educated questions. You you don't ask about, like, there's a speeder in my neighborhood. What do I do? Um, (laughs) And two, you're voters. So there.
0: Okay. Thank you again, Sheriff Lombardo. In the words of a woman I most admire, Amelia Earhart, <laughs> no kind action ever stopped with itself. One kind action leads to another. Let's leave today building connections, taking action, taking kind action, serving one another, and rejoicing in the fellowship of Rotary, meeting a germ. Picture afterwards, please, for those of us in costumes. We hope you enjoyed the latest podcast from the Las Vegas Rotary Club. For more information about future meetings, membership, and our local service projects, please visit lasvegasrotary.com. Now please go out, take action, and connect the world.